Welcome to the Earn Your Edge podcast. I'm Corey Lumberg from Altus Performance, and this week, Cam and I are joined by Carlos Ortiz. Carlos is coming off of his first win on the PGA Tour earlier this season. Carlos lives in Dallas, so he's a guy that we're friendly with, but it was awesome to learn more about his story, especially his background growing up, learning and playing in Mexico, where he happened to just be at the same club as one of the best players on the planet, Lorena Ochoa. So the influence there is interesting to hear about, and then it's always great for us to hear about that first breakthrough win, all the trials and tribulations that go into it, the hard work that ultimately leads to achieving what is a lifelong dream and becoming the first Mexican-born player to win on the PGA Tour in over 40 years. Uh, He's always a fun guy to have in practice rounds, always up for a chat and a laugh. So this is one that we really enjoyed. Before we dig in, a quick word from our awesome partners at Total Golf Trainer. They've got a great giveaway going on on their Instagram page at Total Golf Trainer. They've got a sweet Jones golf bag and some TGT 3.0 kits that they're giving away and announcing the winner on May 31st. Be sure to check it out and follow them. As you're probably aware, this is the number one training aid at Altus. We use it daily. It's replaced nearly all of our other training aids because it's the most versatile training aid that we've ever come across. It's the flexible foam rod that can be used with a number of attachments and in a million ways to provide feedback on any number of swing flaws. We use it for full swing, short game, and putting And as awesome as it is to use it in session, it's even better to send a student away to work on their own with the help of the Total Golf Trainer because we know that they're going to be able to duplicate the same type of feedback that they're getting in session and be effective self-coaches. So please go to TotalGolfTrainer.com, use the promo code EARNYOUREDGE, and purchase a TGT 3.0 kit today. And without further delay, please enjoy episode 84 of the Earn Your Edge podcast with Carlos Ortiz. The conversations generally follow a timeline from like starting out at golf and getting good and then um, digging in deep to your professional accolades of which are many. And um, one of the things that I didn't know about you, but certainly a, a good place to start is your upbringing in golf and the proximal, the close role model you had in Lorena Ochoa. So I'm interested to find out, uh, number one, what did that relationship look like? And number two, when you were a young kid and she was the best player in the world, how did uh, that impact you as a uh, young developing player? Yeah, so how you said with Lorena, it was more like uh, more than she taught me anything. It was more like the example she said, you know, because I was pretty young when, when I started seeing her. But I, just seeing her, you know, as a kid, I spent most of my time at the club playing and then and practicing. So I just got to see her like practice and and, you know, work hard and playing and she was always at the golf course working with his coach Rafael Arcona at the time and the better she got the more you know that we always got nervous about watching her and like you know we just knew that she was there you know we tried not to bother but we always knew that she was there and she the better she got and and then she still took the time to play with us play up you know putting matches or chipping matches and and it was just how I said more than what she said to the, to us it was more the example she said and obviously the the, the more famous she got the more it was for us, instead of being like just a dream that, you know, somebody could make it, it was somebody in like from us, you know, somebody from the club, somebody from Mexico made it from nothing to number one in the world. So that, that was pretty cool to see. And, and how I said, it was just the example she said, you know, I, I got to see how she worked, how it was not coincidence that she just, everything she was doing had a reason and a meaning behind it. And, and I got to see that. So that was just pretty inspiring for me. And then, I mean, as you can see, you, once you see somebody work that hard and reach th- those levels, uh, it's pretty inspiring. And there's a lot of things you can learn about that. 
Yeah. And looking at trying to figure out how you started in Mexico, where very few players have come out to accomplish what you have and trying as a coach to figure out, well, what happened? And obviously Lorena being exposed to that and being able to see, well, this is what's actually required to achieve these levels is a massive advantage that you had. But I'm also curious about just the other social influences, the social factors that you feel like distinguished you from others that may have been just as talented back in Mexico and, and specifically with family, because I know that your, your brother uh, has also achieved a lot. He's played in a master's. And so are there conversations on the way home from a tournament or at the dinner table conversations that you look back at as being influential in kind of shaping the type of competitor that you've been? And Carlos, yeah, before, before you answer, Carlos, I, I need to admit here, and Corey would admit as well, that we are not only coaches, but we're parents of a sure. couple of a couple of young boys as well. So we're really yeah. eager to find out what your parents have done right. <laughs> it was definitely the, my dad. They were, he was he's a he's really competitive. He played soccer growing up. He played golf as a hobby, but he just pretty put he put a really big emphasis in whatever we did, we're gonna do it the right way, no quitting, and don't be afraid of anything. So it was just. How I said again, it's also a lot of the example he said, you know, watching him and how he does things. It was just, you know, there was just a certain standard we had to keep up, you know, and and it was not about that we had to win or anything. It was just that whatever we did, we had to do it the right way. And I think that that definitely made a big difference on my career because it's not a secret, but I was never the best. Like there was always somebody like a junior, even in Mexico, you know, I'm, talk I'm talking about growing up. There was always somebody kind of better than me at all levels. But uh, as you keep working and you keep doing things the right way, you, you start leaving people behind. You know, there's there's not that many pe people that are willing to keep up the hard work for such a long time. And if you keep just keep doing it consistently, you you're gonna pass them, and and that just start just start happening. You know, I I, I remember being frustrated. My dad just kept saying, you know, and that's well, that's where you were asking about conversations that we had in the car. It's just that after tournaments, I cried or you know was pretty upset. What you know, like I understand why I'm not winning or. You know, I, kept, I remember I, I had a, a stage where from nine years old to like 12, 13, I kept finishing second to the same guy every single time. And my dad is just, you know, you keep doing it. You know, you, it's fine. Just keep doing your work. Don't You don't have to compare yourself to the others. Just keep doing your work. Keep doing the, the right stuff. And it's just, just going to start in, uh, working out for you, working out for you. And that's what I kept doing. And as time passed on, there was different guys that, that you know, they were, you know, my competitors at the time. And they kept fading away. You know, I, I don't think there's a, that many people that were willing to put the work in. And then especially I remember I had a lot of people that were really good around me in my club growing up. I don't know what it was on my club, but we had a lot of good golfers. And when we reached the age of 15, 16, that's when the girls start coming into play and the parties and everything. <laughs> that's where you know, most of the guys fade away. They, they just start partying and they start hanging out and they, instead of, you know, going to a tournament, they'd rather hang out at a, birdie, at a party, you know, or if they play the tournament, they still went out the night before and they went to the tournament and, you know, obviously didn't play that, that well. And that's the thing that my dad said, you know, he, he's not like he told me I couldn't go out, but I said, he always told me, if you're going to do something, you're going to do it right. So if you're going out, you're not doing it the right way. So either you play golf or you have fun. It's your, your choice. It's not like he made me play golf or made me do something. He just wanted me to do it the right way. And obviously... If you're partying and then you try to go play in the morning, you're not definitely not going to be your, your best version and, and you're not going to be doing the right way. So I feel that that was the biggest difference growing up for me. Um, speaking of finishing second, and this will get to a question here through my comments that I make to you. 
Um, I remember 2009, you came to play in the Junior Bar in Nelson. You may have even played in it the year before that, maybe 20, uh, 2008, 2007, who knows. And I remember you finished second, and you finished second to my client and your friends now, your close friend, Jordan Spieth at Lakewood. Was that the first time that you came to the United States to compete? And if so, did you realize uh, the depth of talent that you were about to face in just a, a, a fairly regional uh, kind of a based event? Yeah, you know that that's something I, you know, obviously we learned it and we we learned and we my parents did better with my with my brother, but we didn't play much in the U.S. So yeah, that was some of the first times I played. I played a couple AJGA tournaments, but I didn't play much here. And I definitely feel the <laughs> the better your competition, the harder you push yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's something that we I could have we could have done better looking back. And but yeah, that's where I realized okay, the competition is pretty serious here. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, I didn't play as much in the U.S. I didn't get to pick the colleges I wanted to go. I mean, I, I ended up going where I needed to go, you know, that it worked out and everything. But it's not that I had a choice. I didn't have many choices. I had like two choices and, and one of them, they wanted me to redshirt. And so, yeah, I mean, I didn't really play much golf in the U.S. until I came to college. Let me offer you up this. Speaking of college, in a bit of our research, I uncovered a comment that Brad Strachey, your coach at UNT, uh, made mention when he uh, was recruiting you. He said, I knew Carlos was special. I never doubted he would go a long way. Now, clearly, this is a comment that he made after you had success on the thenweb.com or now Corn Ferry Tour, right? But what do you think it was that he identified or saw in you when he was recruiting? Because, I mean, it's fairly easy for a coach to stand there, whether they're a college coach or a coach to youth athlete players and pinpoint or point out, well, there's Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson, and they can see something special in uh, the skill set, how they carry themselves just based on them winning golf tournaments. But when someone's not necessarily winning golf tournaments, when someone is, yes, a a standout in your country, right on the national team, the national junior team and representing your country, but yet not necessarily having the pedigree of competing at a U.S. junior or AJG invitationals, what special traits did you demonstrate to Coach Strachey that would have warranted him calling you out and saying, this kid, I must have? I mean, I think he started tapping into international players. That was first. And you know how you said it gets pretty competitive in the U.S. and, and how they get the best players, the best, the best universities. I think he started looking into international players. And I, I, I was always able to shoot low. You know, it might not be consistent like during the whole tournament, but I was always to bring it really low. I, I, I could shoot 62, 63, around 16, 17 years old. And I, not everybody could that, you know, everybody could right. maybe shoot on their par, but not go that low. And I could do that from a young age. And I think that I know that that definitely that attracted him. You know, I, ha- I had a term that I shot like 65, 63. It was a two day wow. tournament. And I mean, it doesn't matter how easy to this date, if you want to shoot that many under, you have to play really good. And I think that definitely stood up to him. And obviously, if he wanted to recruit good players, he had to go somewhere else that he was not the U.S. That's definitely, I think, why he he looked at me. And to that point, you know, UNT isn't isn't known, as you're kind of alluding to, as being this perennial golf powerhouse. But yet, two of its very recent products, you and Sebastian, are recent tour winners. You're ranked in the top 60 in the world. And I read a quote 
from Sebastian that said, if Carlos didn't have the success he had right out of college, I have no idea where I would be. I probably wouldn't be playing golf right now, which obviously is a testament to, I guess, maybe the friendship, but also the culture that was at UNT. Is there anything that you can speak of? Because obviously you had success in college and then carried that through both of you to your professional careers. How is that culture helpful in maybe influencing or creating some of that future success? You know, it was not easy because when we showed up, I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm not trying to talk back here or anything, but the team, you know, they were shooting 78, 70. They were not shooting even on their par. They were shooting in the 80s. You know, most right. of the guys couldn't even really, you know, it wasn't as good. It wasn't as, a, we didn't have a deep team. We had Rodolfo, who was a really good player. Rodolfo Casabon, he, he's, I mean, he's still trying to make it, but he was really good back in college. And it was me, me and him the first two years. And it was just pretty much me and him the whole time. When Sebastian came to North Texas two years after that, I could tell that he could play, but he didn't even want to play. I kept begging him, dude, just try, you know, let you come play with us, you know, like let's play. And he went to have fun at the moment. And as soon as we left, he decided to start playing and start playing good. I'm like, dude, that was so, you know, I, I hate you for that. We could have had a great team, and now you're tired of partying and you want to actually try, you know. And, I mean, we laugh. I always tell him, no, that was you were so bad, and. He said, yeah, but you had the first two years to do that. And then when I came, you know, you were already serious. And I'm like, yeah, I, mean, I realized I had to, you know, do something to me. When, when I was in the U.S. in college, I realized there was a lot of talent and I had to step up my game and, and start practicing the right way and start doing the right things to, to reach where I wanted to. So I realized that quick and it took him two years to realize that, oh, maybe I want to play this sport too. And so he started trying right after I left. But when I was there... He didn't even care about golf. He kept telling everybody, yeah, I'm here just to have fun, you know, play golf and, and finish school and I'll go back home and I'll work in the family business. He didn't even, it was not even his map trying, trying to turn pro. And then after we left, he changed his mind and I'm like, okay, that's pretty bad from you. You know, I'm, I'm, I hate you for that. Do you think he changed his mind because he saw the success you had straight off the jump, uh, making it through all three stages and getting your card on the corn ferry tour? I definitely think that definitely make him realize because we, we played similar golf. He, he, you know, he, he had the talent. He just didn't, he didn't really want to try. He, I think definitely influenced his decision on, on maybe just, okay, I'm just going to try and see what happens. I think that definitely, that definitely helped him. Yeah. Contributed to it. So I've got a question for you that comes out of another quote and it relates to your 2014 season on the corn ferry tour. And the quote was after you won in Portland, so your third victory of the year. And the quote is, I didn't envision any of this. To be honest, I came out this year without any expectations. Now, what I want to get at here is, number one, do you remember saying it? And number two, it was a quote, like I said, after you won in Portland. And I'm wondering whether there was any truth to it or were you just showing some level of kind of humility and the reason I want to dig deeper into it is because there's a, there's a mental trick, right? And that mental trick is in your mind, if you miss a shot, it actually makes it easier to make the actual shot in real life. So kind of telling yourself that you have low expectations or no expectations alleviates that mental burden. So number one, was it true? Do you remember saying it? And then unpack it a, a bit deeper for us. No, 100%. That was true. I I honestly, you always have a plan, you know, what you wanted to do. I, I knew where I wanted to go. I, I finished school and I went to... European tour, Q school, and the and the Quebecom tour at the time, and I made it to third stage on both of them. I didn't play that good on third stage on the, on the European tour, Q school, and so I only got challenge tour status. I didn't get European, and I just made it to the and I went to finals to Quebecom tour, and I got good status. And I just told to myself, okay, I know it's you know they are the pros, they probably play unbelievable. You know, I I remember recognizing a lot of big names, you know, because they the guys that fell back to the Quebecom tour. 
So I was just kind of like, okay, I just have to, I've always been a guy that I need to feel comfortable first. And then once I figure it out, then I, I always end up going up to the ranks and, and becoming pretty good consistently. So I just said, I just need to kind of get my, you know, get something going on, just get myself comfortable. So my goal pretty much, and I'm and you know, it's, that's pretty bad to say, but my goal was to just keep my cart and, and feel comfortable. Right. Had no expectations. I just wanted to see, I, I had never played a professional tournament before. You know, I have not, I was not like Justin or Jordan that when they played, when turn pro, they had already played 10 or 15 P tour tournaments. You know, I had played nothing. I didn't know anything. I, I was just pretty grateful that I had a place to play and I was excited to start. So I went with no expectations just to try to play my best and see what happens. And then after the first tournament, I finished third and, you know, I played good, but I didn't feel like I even played that good. And I was like, huh, you know, it's just like college, you know, it's the same thing. Just, you know, a little bit more, you get paid for, to, you get paid to be here. <laughs> so I had no expectations. And I, after like fourth, my fourth week, I won. And then my sixth week, I won again, you know, and I, I was not even thinking about anything. I was just trying to play kind of like college like no like really strategy just hitting after every going after every single pin not even caring missing a cut was nothing back then i remember how my mentality was so much different i had you know i had no pressure no nothing i was thinking about anything it was just me i remember my parents were gonna help me they said yeah my dad was like the deal was like if i finish school he was gonna financially support me in what i wanted to do but after my first uh, tournament i already made enough money and I, i was independent i everything went easy you know um and that was just different for me. I was never expecting it to be that easy. I mean, it sounds bad saying it went that easy, but it's, it looked easy. It felt easy at the moment. In my whole life during my career, it had never worked out that way. It was more like I had to go through adversity. I learned. I got knocked down. I, I stood up and I kept working until I figured it out. And then, and then I made it to the next level, right? And that's what I was expecting. It. And when I got there, it was it went so it happened so fast that I didn't even I didn't even realize how it's hard, you know, once you see it from now that I see it. How, how much work it takes, but it just felt so easy. On the Earn Your Edge podcast, we often talk about the importance of skill development and how all of these great players that we chat with on the podcast work on their technique and their form, but that's really only half the battle when it comes to performing your best. You've got to have the right equipment and nothing will do more to improve your driver performance than getting fit by an authorized Titleist fitting specialist. And after so many conversations with world-class players, it becomes very clear how unique each individual and their game can be. There are no stock players, no stock swings, so there should be no stocks setups. With outstanding featured shafts and a new premium partnership with Graphite Design, Tylus has all the tools to get your game dialed and give you the confidence needed to lower your scores. Visit Tylus.com to learn more about the TSI drivers and to schedule a fitting today. And I'm sure that now looking back and even reflecting on that experience, there's a lot of value in that experience of knowing, okay, when no expectations are there, when I take my, the pressure off myself, that this is how I can perform. But moving through the timeline a little bit to obviously player of the year, corn Ferry tour, keep your card the following year, you get to the PGA tour, keep your card and then lose it in 2016. And, you know, that's kind of the adversity that we were talking about there. And I'm sure that you wouldn't give that up because those lessons that you learned there have served to making you who you are right now. But if you're able to talk to 2016 Carlos and avoid some of those miscuts and some of those trials and tribulations, what are the lessons that you're telling him to make sure that he can avoid uh, having to, to go back down to the Corn Ferry tour? 
I wouldn't tell him anything. I think the best thing that happened to me is going back to the World Cup tour. I love it. I, I honestly, I wouldn't change anything. That's what I needed. I needed that. It's easy to get used to the nice things and you get pretty, you humble up once you go back down. And I needed that. I, I, I Everything went so fast. I really have any kind of real structure and how I was going to handle everything. Even the, the first year in the PE tour, I didn't feel like I played great. Uh, different chances to win. I had. I, I didn't even came close. And I was trying to become somebody I was not. You know, you, I was pretty starstruck. You see all these guys doing all these different things and you start trying to become somebody that you're not, you know, and that happens, I think, really often. You know, you you see guys that are really successful doing certain things and you think you have to do, do this exactly the same thing when in reality it's just whatever got you there, that's what you that's what you have to be working on, you know, like just making that that version of yourself better. Don't don't try to work like and try to swing like Rory or Dustin or somebody else, you know? Yeah. Um, and you, you just, you just alluded to it there, but what are some tangible examples of things that you changed about your approach in response to being there that looking back says, man, I just, I should have just stuck to my guns and done what I normally do. I changed equipment uh, yeah. uh, that I should have never changed. I got a nice offer and I thought it was on. It's not a big deal. I had never changed. I've always played ping my whole life. To this day, I still play. I don't even get paid, but I play ping because that's what I've played. And I changed equipment, and I didn't realize how hard it was to change equipment, especially the driver. And, you know, you start struggling, and you start playing all these tournaments, so you don't really have a... That's something I didn't even have time to catch up. You know, once I realized it was middle of the season, I kept struggling. You know, I, I never took the chance to really get myself better and, and figure myself out. And I, you can't figure yourself out during middle of the tournaments. You know, trying to work on things during the season is really hard. And it's hard to get confidence. And once you lose your confidence, there's it's hard to get it back. And that, that's something I've learned, you know, like once you're confident, you, you know, you try to work, keep that confidence and never get a, get, never, you know, lose it as bad as, you know, because once you lose it, it takes years or at least a lot of months to get it back. Yeah, it, it does. It's fleeting, isn't it? You're right. I want to go fast forward a little bit and I can't fathom what it feels like to accomplish a lifelong dream of winning on the PGA Tour, and we certainly want to uh, unpack that at great depths. But before talking specifically about the win, I want to talk about the lead-up. I want to talk about the end of the 2020 season and then the start of the 2021 season where you went miscut, 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 25th to end 2020, and then you picked back up at Safeway with a 46th then cut, cut, 48th, 35th, and then ultimately win in Houston. Now, I don't mean to kind of put a damper on the conversation about the win, but what I think oftentimes people get the perspective of is that you see someone not getting results or missing cuts, and you feel like they're, uh, or maybe you make the assumption that they're a long way away from where they actually should be from a skill standpoint. But I think that oftentimes the other side of the story is that a person's much closer than where they actually, uh, where the results tell the story that they are. So maybe if you can speak to where you were at and then um, illustrate for the listeners the fine line that exists between missing versus making cuts, the fine line that exists between turning a top 25 into a top 10, which ultimately means that you're in contention, right? I mean, the separation of players at the PGA Tour level is so, so small. Yeah, I think you, you touch a great subject there, and that's something I've I realized with time is that how you said I it's more like how I feel than the results. I don't try I try not to focus on the results, and it's weird. Sometimes I feel like I'm playing great, and I end up missing a cut. And sometimes you feel, you know, you're you're not just not scoring well, and you just have to stay patient and keep working and 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 keep telling yourself that it's going to happen. And and 
not let yourself that, lose that confidence because in that moment, for example, when you're talking about at the end of the season, in the beginning of the season, I was playing great. For some reason, I couldn't really get things going. But I either it was like my long game, I fixed it, and then my putting started acting up, and then I fixed my putter, and then my you know my watches were horrible. So I, I was like kind of like putting everything together. But I was in the big picture, I was playing great. I just couldn't score. You know, it was something that I that week I couldn't I couldn't get going and. I mean, you start getting really frustrated. And I remember after Las Vegas, right before I went to to win, I kept hitting the ball great. I kept doing it, everything pretty good. I just somehow couldn't really score. And I remember talking to my dad, and I was saying like I was really frustrated, and and I don't know what was going on. That I, I felt everything I was doing everything pretty good. I just couldn't put it in on paper. You know, I couldn't really score. I couldn't really put the the results I wanted. And but I felt that everything was right there. So I went to Houston, and to be honest, I didn't even play that good. I just somehow put everything together. You know, I, <laughs> I didn't. I'm not kidding you. I, I did not play. I played ten times better, or like I'm saying, I hit the ball way better, probably in, in at Sherwood or Las Vegas, than I played at at Houston. I just put everything together. I I got it up and down when I needed to. I made the putts when I needed I needed to, and I did play great the last day. But the first three days, I scramble. I got it done. You know, I scored. And there's a really thin line between scoring and, and playing well, you know, like. Have you figured out a way in, in your practice back here in Dallas to stack the deck in your practice in favor of scoring, like getting up the golf course and playing short tees, uh, playing in uh, birdie only games with the guys? Just to just to offer up a couple of examples to kind of like trigger. trigger. Honestly, it's something I, I for me, something I'm adapting right now because I, I have two, two girls right now. So I'm trying to scramble and like still getting work done during the weeks but still having family time during the weeks i'm I'm at home so it's something i figured out but i i've learned with time that when i play a lot when i'm playing a lot i you know you always find a way to score so mm-hmm. i always try to get on the golf course and play play as much as i can because i know when you're playing you just you always find a way you don't have to be hitting it that good but when you're playing a lot you always find little things or little ways to to get the things done and that's something that i've i've learned with time um and that's the only way to actually get your confidence back up is just playing and then seeing ball come in in the hole and start getting momentum and start finding a way to, to make birdie. You know, it doesn't have to be pretty. You just have to make the score. You're hitting on something that I really wanted to ask about because if I do look at maybe 2016, where obviously there's a string of missed cuts, but back to even when in 2014, when you're Corn Ferry Tour Player of the Year, you you had some really, really high finishes, but still there's plenty of weeks that weren't so good in, in missed cuts in that year as well. And you even hit on it where you said, when I was a junior player, I could really go low. You just didn't have the consistency. So now in these last two years, it appears that the floor has just been raised. It appears that you figured out a way to, even when you have your B game or your C game, you can still turn in a solid performance. And as you said, it sounds like you won during one of those weeks when you didn't feel like you had had it for most of the, of the week. Is there anything else beyond what you just spoke to of figuring out a way to score, playing a little bit more often? Is there anything tactical that changed? Anything else? And, and maybe just the skills just have improved as a whole that allows you to still perform well, to still put a solid week out, even though you don't have your A game? I think it comes to how you think around the golf course. It's all about in your mind, I think. I, I cannot tell how many times I've had my A game and missed cuts and how many times I've had my B game or C game and and finish, you know, top 25. It's all about how you're mentally that week. And that's something I've, I think 
if I have improved something the most, it's mentally on how how to approach each day and, and how to, you have to just figure out, you know, plot a, a game plan with whatever game you have on that day to figure out how to score it and make that happen. And does that, does that show up for you guys on the range? Meaning, is it a conversation you're having internally in your own head? Okay, today warming up on the range, I've got this. And so therefore my tactics have to change? You know, something that I've realized with time, and I, maybe that's why I'm not there is I don't even hit that many golf range balls. I, I just pretty much warm up. I don't really, probably takes me 15 minutes to warm up. How I hit the ball on the driving range, it does not correlate how I'm going to hit it on the golf course. I've learned that a long time ago, and it just doesn't happen. So I, it's more how you start, you start playing a few holes and you start feeling, okay, my game is pretty, you, you know right away how your game is feeling after the first few holes. And after yeah. that, you, you just have to, okay, this today is maybe not that good, so I'm just going to play shots that you know you're going to pull off, you know, and then maybe play more for the middle of the green. Don't, 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 don't be as aggressive. For me, that's really hard to do, and that's maybe why sometimes I miss some cuts when I shoot him because I, I have a hard time not being aggressive. It's just, I don't know if it's something in my blood that I want to go after every single team. <laughs> As you know, on the PE tour, you, you're, you can't do that all the time. And I just have a hard time doing that. And I, I'm learning and it's, it's costing me a lot, but I'm learning just to be, you know, sometimes me hitting the green, that's the right way. That's the right play. And I just yeah. have a hard time accepting that, but uh, I'm working on it. So this is probably getting a little bit into the weeds, but it's interesting you comment on my warm-up may last as little as 15 minutes, and then you go to the other end of the spectrum, and you've got Matt Kuchar who does two warm-ups on the driving range. I'm not too sure how many warm-ups he does on the putting green, and you've got DJ who spends a good 90 minutes on the range. And I guess more commonly advice to juniors or what we see posted on social media is the prototypical hour to an hour and 15 minutes of warm-up from arriving at the range, hitting some parts, hitting some short game shots, then getting to the first tee. When and how did you come about your 15-minute strategy or your your yeah your short abbreviated warm-up strategy? I'm talking about 15 minutes maybe hitting golf balls, but yeah, mm. I, first I, I never arrive to the driver. If I drive to the driving range, I can already hit a driver. I go to the gym first and, yeah. and get pretty loose. Then I probably putt for, like, I, I start hitting putts or golf balls 40 minutes before my tee time. That's how, so it's 30 minutes. You have, I have 15 minutes on the putting grid, 15 minutes on the driving range, and then I get 10 minutes before to the golf course. And I just figured that out because in college, it's just more like you warm up as how with the team and kind of you follow like everybody, you know, like you follow. I didn't really have like my specific, I didn't find what I was best for me. It was just doing what the coach was saying and just doing what everybody else was doing. But when I start figuring out things for myself, then there was times where I was spending like uh, 45 minutes hitting balls and I was hitting it like shit. And, <laughs> and I, worn I, just, out. I was sweating, worn out. I, <laughs> I was so irritated and so um, worried already before the round started. And I played and I played unbelievable, hit the ball unbelievable. I couldn't hit one single shot straight on the driving range, but I went on the golf course and didn't miss one single shot. And I was like, huh. So I just spent all this energy on the driving range when... On the golf course, everything went great. I don't even, I don't even understand. You know, you just got all the bad ones then, out, mate. <laughs> then I did that so many times. I realized, look, I already know that I've done it this so many times that it doesn't have anything to do that I hit it good or bad on the driving range. It has nothing to do on the golf course. So I'm not even going to waste energy or time. I'm going to just do a warm up, literally a warm up, and that's it. So I go literally to get rhythm on the driving range. For me, it's more about the driver and just get a good rhythm. You know, good sensation. I don't even care where the golf ball is going. Just get good rhythm, and then and then I go to the golf course, and I just figured that out that I I'm not gonna waste uh, extra energy, mm-hmm. you know. But something I've learned, and I learned that in 2016 mainly, this sport and how you do things is different for everybody. 
What might work for me might not work for everybody, might not work for other people, but you can always grab things that people do, things that might work for you, and especially try to find players that are kind of the same kind of player you are, feel, or if you're a technical player, you can find a guy that is pretty technical, but you, you always have to adapt to what works for you, and, and, and don't ever assume because somebody's doing something, it's going to work, work for you. It's just so different. I don't know. Amen. Yeah. And, and that's been one of the best parts of having these conversations, Carlos. So many of them we're, we've had like 80 now to where you really do start to learn all the different ways that there is to get this done. And they have to be unique and kind of bespoke to the individual, uh, especially when we talk to somebody that's a veteran and that is has a lot of conviction. They know what works. They know what doesn't. I want to go back to the victory really quick uh, again as the first victory by a Mexican Mexican born player since 1978. So whenever someone accomplishes something like that, that not very many of their countrymen have. And we just had this a few weeks ago with Hideki at the masters. I'm always thinking, trying to figure out, is that something that you're, you're carrying that burden around? Are you aware of that pressure? The fact that you're representing your country and that, your achievement can serve to influence and inspire so many young people back home. And that adds the obvious pressure, or is that something that just hits you when it's done, when you've kind of come to terms with, with what you've accomplished instead of it being something that's distracting or adding pressure to you in that moment? I thought, you know, something I really think about, uh, here's more with me, the fight with me that I, I always knew I was going to win. I always, that's something I, I, like I always knew I was going to be on the PD tour. It's something I knew that was going to happen. You just never know when that's going to happen. I, I knew what's going to happen. And and just getting it done, it's just a relief. You know, like, oh, okay, I know it was going to happen. I'm I'm just happy it happened now. And, and you know, it's going to keep happening. But it's just, just that stress that has happened. The longer you are on tour and you're not winning, you're like, oh, I, I know it's going to happen just when. So I was just, you know, that was more a relief. And obviously I know that there's a... I wouldn't say pressure, but a responsibility that, and I learned that from Lorena, you know, she, I look up to her uh, in a way that, that she probably never knew. And I know that I don't even realize, but there is guys or, you know, kids, people that look up to you and you just have to hold up certain standards and, and always think that, you know, you're influencing uh, people's yeah. life or kids, you know, you, mm-hmm. you're, you're somebody that they look up to. So you, I, I definitely feel that's important. And, you want to call it pressure or just awareness that you have to act certain way and, and give the right example i just know that and i, I uh, that's a, a responsibility that we have to live to live with and 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 really think about i do want to point out that that's kind of the secret sauce that we're looking to pick up in these conversations and point it out to listeners is that, whereas I framed a question of, man, you must feel such immense pressure in those moments. And that really quickly, Carlos, you reframed it and you switched it and you said, no, that's not pressure. That's responsibility. That's, that's my <laughs> job. That's what I do. Like that's th- those are the beautiful little nuggets that are just kind of mindset habits that you have and that great competitors have that we want to pick up on. So I just wanted to comment on that quickly, but I, I want to talk kind of specific to your skills too, because also in our research and seeing that the last couple of years have been really good and that there's been a, a trajectory that looks like you're on, that's going to to going to bring you higher and higher over the next few years. As the coach, I'm, I'm digging into the stats and I'm trying to figure out, well, what skill areas have improved? What, what have been the catalyst for this, this uh, improvements in performance? And the best I can tell is short game and putting. 
the last couple of years, those looks like those stand out as being different than, than previous. So one, I want to know if the stats tell the, the true story, if you feel like that's been the case. And if so, what caused that? Was there some technical change? Was there a change in the way you're uh, training or preparing on the week of an event to lead to such good scoring around the greens and on the greens? You know something, that's something I'm trying to figure out too. And <laughs> my irons have given me a little bit, my driver gave me a little bit of uh, issues last year. This year I've been driving it great. I've been actually hitting my irons pretty good. You know, there's something just there that I, I haven't been able to, to put everything together that I'm, I'm working really hard on. And I think the short game is just more where I'm missing the, the shots more than, than, than I'm getting up and down from like crazy places or my short game has completely changed. It's more where I'm missing in the right places. So it's really easy to get up and down. Is that because that you have sense. more control of your golf ball as you're approaching the green? Or is that because of a tactical change, a, a, a way of playing that you've uh, implemented? Uh, I think it's control with also being smarter on, on what we talked about at the beginning that mm -hmm. I don't have to ever go to every, you know, like sometimes being on the French or sometimes going long for certain spins or something, you know, sometimes not being on the green is almost better than being on the green on the, on the wrong place. I've learned that there's some certain, you learn it with experience out there that there are certain pin positions that you can be in certain places. And I've learned that. And I, I, you end up leaving yourself in places that it's either you have an easy pot or you, it's really easy to get up and down. And I think that's why my short game stats have gone up so much. Mm -hmm. And the putting, yeah, the putting. I've I've worked really hard on 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 the putting. I've I feel like I've become way more consistent the way I've I've practiced it. I've I've used uh, like you know Ramon. I know I know yeah. you know yeah. Ramon, the, for sure. the guy with the perfect putter. I the way we practice, the way we prepare for it before every tournament, it's made me pretty consistent. I feel like I can start the ball in line pretty much every week, and it's all about getting the right speed, and then 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 bingo, it's all there. Brilliant. You've been great with your time. Is it okay if we finish with a few quick hit questions? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. The first one I have for you is what's the over under on when we see you and your brother contending in the same PGA tour event? Say when you get off to a bad start, you're two over through the first four and it's a golf course where you shouldn't be two over through the first four. What's the mindset? What's the self-talk in your head? That's where I feel like you just somehow like, you know, get yourself talking. It's like, okay, I'm playing great. And you find a way to get momentum. You're right. You know, it's for me, it's all about momentum and momentum works. Unfortunately, both ways, you get momentum, the bad way, momentum, the right way. So for me, it's all about turning, finding that pot that even if, even if it's for bogey part or something, or even birdies, just find that pot. It's okay. The perfect. That's the, the momentum I needed to change my round. I always try to find like something that I can grab on and created a good momentum. For me, it's finding the momentum for, for, for me to, to ride and then and get my round going. How about theories on swing thoughts? So we've talked to some guys who say, I'm over the ball, I'm blank, kind of like what you just said, I'm not thinking very much. Or is it okay to have one or two things technically in your swing that you're like, all right, here's kind of my checklist. I need to make sure that I'm focused on these two things in order to hit it good. For me, it's about what kind of shot I, I'm hitting. Like if I'm hitting a, a punch or a draw or a straight ball, I always have little things that I that I know if I if I feel that that I'm gonna hit the right shot. Excellent, Carlos. Can't thank you enough for your time. I'm so excited to see you back out um, when next we rendezvous for a practice round. And until then, when we see you on the on the, uh, on the PGA Tour, we'll be cheering you on. Thank you, Cam and Coria. It was nice talking to you guys. Awesome, buddy. Thanks, Carlos. See All you, best. Yeah. Sunday. See you guys. Bye. Bye. -bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com 
We're also pretty active on Instagram, so follow at Altus Performance, and you can also follow on Twitter at Team Altus. If you haven't done so, please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast, leave a review, share it with others, and be sure to stay tuned to future episodes of Earn Your Edge. Thanks for listening.